esoteric research organization. Hero paranormal always setting up the pace, man. Crop circle tipping, Illuminati still tripping. Making those ears perk up, gonna make you question your earth. You better. Mystery bloodlines and secret society. Creepy shape shit to say is come sit beside me. Go feel the. Sports with all these spy drones. Acting like UFOs. So we put space wolf tiptoe through the dark. Should I blind in? Tune in and blast off. Blast off. Blast off, baby. Blast off on another epic episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization podcast, also known as Hero Paranormal. That new awesome intro is from Spivey underscore music at Instagram. Spivey is one of the most talented space cowboy slash humans on the planet. He has, well, in my opinion, the most talent of anybody that I've come across and kind of a uh, one-man guitar, vocals, synth, drums, etc. He does it all. He is amazing. Check him out on Instagram at spivey underscore music. That, and he's extremely into all the stuff that we're into and actually very knowledgeable when it comes to everything you into Basin, Space Wolf Research, shapeshifters, etc. The guy knows his stuff. So moving on, we have tax time coming up, everybody. Tax time, tax time. You know what they say? The only things you can really rely on are death and taxes. And here they come, which brings me to the next question, which is what is taxation? You know, specifically taxation without representation Who founded the Internal Revenue Service back in July 1st of 1862 and why? We're going to get to all that and a lot more. But before we do, if you haven't gone over to HeroParanormal.com, please do. A ton of content over there. Just added a bunch of swag over to the shop there too. So just click on shop. You can access all that good stuff over at the shop. If you're more health-minded and you're interested in spice, organic bronze, That's a lotion that keeps your skin looking amazing all throughout the winter. Keep it from looking gray, crackly, and dead. Keep it hydrated and moisturized, all while maintaining that awesome color you got in the summer. Check out happinessmedical.com. You can also access vitamins, supplements, anything over there. Anything you purchase helps support the podcast. All right, enough uh, of that. But if you're listening via YouTube, do me the solid. Like, share, and subscribe. They will most likely never monetize me due to the topics I cover and the truth. But if you like, share, and subscribe, it will help me blast through that algorithm of control. All right, so taxes, taxes, taxes. Well, the roots of the IRS go back to the Civil War, when President Lincoln and Congress created the position and commissioner of the Internal Revenue and enacted an income tax to pay for war expenses. Since then, many have been imprisoned for not paying their share. And let's just say that everyone is just one arm's length away from the taxman, keeping them at bay. However, the agency will receive a record $80 billion to hire new agents, modernize technology, and they want to expand enforcement as part of a new climate of tax law, what is now being called the Shadow Army, specifically under the Biden administration, is described as a strike force to shake down specifically small businesses, but also individuals, and audit, search, and destroy. Now, interestingly, today there have been a variety of cyber attacks, people losing quite a bit. I heard of a couple that lost uh, 49,000, I believe it was, just with a quick couple of questions that were sent to them from who they believed was their bank. So don't respond to any bank inquiries if they're in any way, shape, or form electronic. Go to the bank specifically, or if it's a credit card, only call the number on the back. 
because cyber attacks are extremely prominent right now. And today, in fact, there were a ton of cyber attacks. Interesting that this was all predictively programmed, easing its way into society with the shows like Leave the World Behind and others. But yeah, we're having it happen. And now we have, in fact, tax army, as they're calling it, a shadow, uh, a shadow army, which is basically a strike force, 80,000 employees deep with upgraded technology systems to improve ability to respond and find out more about taxpayers. Apparently, the uh, the IRS is unfairly, allegedly, this is according to Republicans mostly, allegedly the IRS is unfairly targeting conservatives and they're using unfounded abilities within the law and basically trying to shut down mom and pop shops um, and other Republican or right-leaning middle-class Americans utilizing tax law to do it. Is it happening? Well, allegedly. The scale and speed with which it's happening is outrageous. Some are saying that political and logistical realities are showing that it is, in fact, in some way, shape, or form, allegedly happening. Some are calling for the overhaul of the IRS. And if it is poised to be weaponized against certain political groups, it seems as if we've really got something going on here. We have cyber attacks against all. We have a possibly weaponized Internal Revenue Service under the current administration, if you believe the allegations. And Senator Ted Cruz has said, and I quote, stop Biden's shadow army of 87,000 IRS agents. So we'll have to see whether in reality these Tea Party groups are targeted and the agency is using its financial shadow army to take down their political counterparts. This is an interesting and quiet strategy, but it brings me to possibly the most important reason the IRS was founded, and that was to basically weaponize. That was to fund an army during the Civil War. And with productions like A24 Productions and the new movie coming out called Civil War, you have to wonder, is this still the war-driven machine that it started out to be? Is this new alleged shadow army the rethinking, remanufacturing of the machine and a more streamlined version to help the possibility of a civil war come about again? Well, this is interesting and it brings up a lot of uh, scary questions. In the opinion of many, to fully understand why it's so important to... uh, understand these allegations on the IRS, specifically from right-leaning conservatives, I think in a greater view of rising anti-government sentiment, it's important to look at the 1992 standoff in Ruby Ridge, Idaho. I know what you're thinking. What does Ruby Ridge, Idaho have to do with the IRS and right-leaning conservative ideals and theories? And uh, the attack an alleged view of what the IRS is doing. Well, Ruby Ridge, Idaho, in 1992, was a situation where federal agents killed the wife and the son of a man during a siege and deadly 1993 raid on a cult compound in Waco, Texas. Following this, It's important to note that the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, claimed that his attack on a federal building was quote-unquote payback for what he said the U.S. government did at Waco and Ruby Ridge. These events also started what is being known as the modern militia movement and also started Alex Jones on his InfoWars campaign. This is 
really, and he said so. This is what got InfoWars and Alex Jones all fired up. This anti-government sentiment basically overstepping their bounds and inspiring extremism. It seems to have seeped into conservatives nationwide. Keep in mind that only months after the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, Republicans in Congress legitimized McVeigh's concerns by demanding inquiries into federal agents and their actions at Ruby Ridge and Waco. Senator Arlen Specter said, and I quote, We sit on a powder keg with a lot of anxiety and anger welling up across the country as to excessive action by the federal government. Nobody wants to be an extremist. Nobody wants to be psycho. Nobody wants to be, you know, put in that camp with the far right and uh, all the things that they have been allegedly embracing. White supremacy, racism, anti-government sentiment. You know, it seems like everything anti-woke is thrown on the right. By the same token, I think there's a backlash to the left. I think that their extremist, woke ideologies can be likened to communism and socialism. Fascism, possibly. That's what some allege. But regardless, this created sort of this uh, anti-government sentiment, even by sitting U.S. senators who feared a quote-unquote shadow army, a deep state. And keep in mind that sociologists and people who study government say that this was a turning point in the American government. Something that could be a trap, much like the original civil war with the uh, landowners of the South not wanting to give up their workforce immediately and not want... That was more of a, believe it or not, I don't think that was... You know, it's been it's been categorized... And get me, don't get me wrong, um, I see the legitimacy on both sides, but it's been categorized as all about freeing the African-American slaves, but it was a money war. And it, it basically was a situation where I think it could have been worked out just taking a little bit more time. Everything could have come out the same way and we wouldn't have had to have lost so many American lives. But sometimes... That means calling out some of the lies that powerful people and institutions, specifically those which lobby government, make. Misinformation is something that damages democracy. We have all kinds of misinformation now. And in the media bubble, you can uh, let a lot of it seep behind the scenes and not know what's going on. So is there a deep state? Is there a shadow army? Well, we're going to dive deep. I do have some connections um, to Langley, and uh, that borders the CIA in the Virginia suburbs. And legend has it, at least for those who uh, educationally have studied things like United States military, Soviet studies, and uh, special assistance, for national security affairs and the like, let's just say that provisional authorities believe that there is something, there is something, something controversial, somewhat of a cult of personality, an association with a deep clandestine plot, which they claim is ticking down to the zero hour where American citizens must decide what side they're on. Well, this is eerily reminiscent of a Civil War scenario. Doesn't mean we're going to have Civil War, but I think everybody sees that something is in play. We no longer play nice. I remember when, when politics played nice. You know, uh, political banter was not mudslinging. It was more cordial, more gentleman-like, more nuanced. And 
you didn't have to come right out and say the things that our politicians today are saying. We didn't have phrases like, lock her up. Or we didn't have multiple felony charges against potential candidates trying to, quite literally, lock them up. Nobody's playing nice anymore. And this is turning into quite the political thriller. And I get why. I really do get why. We all work hard for our money. We all have to pay, on average, 33% in taxes. <laughs> There's that 33 again. Regardless, that's the average. And the question becomes, why? Where's our money going to? Now, I get military spending if it is, in fact, to defend the United States and our populace. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is billions and billions of dollars being sent overseas, often to causes which I do not agree with. Uh, I don't want to name names, but give me a break. We have actors over in the Eastern Bloc in proxy wars who are just clowns, complete clowns, which I despise, and they seem to be insatiable when it comes to massacring their own population, throwing them into a virtual meat grinder, and doing so with funding from the great nation of the United States of America. Their pockets seem to have holes in them because no matter how much money we send some of these folks, it's gone. Poof. We need more. We need more. Well, I hate to sound cold, but that's not my problem. That's not our problem. I go out during the day and I see homelessness. I see mothers that need to feed their children. I see all kinds of social, not to sound communist, but social needs here within our borders. Many of those borders of which are not secured. So there may be better ways to spend that money. No problem here with military spending as long as it's military spending to protect us, not to inflict other world policies in different locations on the planet that have nothing to do with our GDP. And I get the whole argument, you know, with, uh, oh, well, we have become the police of the world. But why have we become the police of the world? That becomes the big question. The deeper you look, the more you realize that there is a working group of bankers, international bankers, which support ideologies which are not necessarily of the United States of America. They are ideologies of the World Bank, a global cabal of sorts. And they seem to be interested in interest, in making money off of third world countries, and then utilizing, for lack of a better word, coercion to bring infrastructure to those countries if the presidents of those countries or dictators or whatever their government is does not agree with bringing in this infrastructure with massive, massive loans from the central banks, then they send, for lack of a better word, enforcers to remove them from power and put proxy governments in place so that they will go ahead and play ball take these massive loans, which they guarantee. They say, oh yeah, this loan will pay for itself. Help us put the infrastructure in. We'll build you dams. We'll build you hydroelectric plants. Keep in mind, they're making interest on these massive loans. And when these third world countries are unable to pay these massive loans back, here come the enforcers, which say, too bad, so sad. Now you need to play by our rules and they quite literally take the countries over one way or another, whether that be legitimizing many of the construction businesses, otherworldly, what I mean by otherworldly is politics that don't belong in those countries end up rooting in those countries. You know, hey, I've got a buddy that has, uh, he sits on the board of this particular company that wants to come down and take advantage of your banana production or your coffee production or your fruit production. We've seen it over and over again, or worse, your mineral production, your oil, 
And when a country is bent over the barrel with their arms tied behind their back financially and they have no recourse, they have to play ball. Let's get to the bottom. Let's get to the truth of what's taking place. This is why organizations which are globalist in nature have been attacked by people like Alex Jones, by people like uh, these senators, these right-wing senators who are starting to get worried that maybe the military-industrial complex is becoming enforcers for a global banking cabal. Sounds far-fetched, I know. So let's look into it. Let's look into it. These are wild allegations. I'm just reporting on what I've researched and looked into. I know they're wild allegations. So let's look and see if they have any legitimacy. Let's look at some of the research done by others, specifically uh, a John Perkins, who has come out with a line of books called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Multiple editions, three that I know of, on how China and the United States seem to be shockingly corrupting a system that cheats and strong-arms countries around the planet, cheats them out of trillions of dollars, and causes staggering income inequality and devastation. So, what are they? EHMs, economic hitmen. Well, it seems that they are highly paid professionals, of which John Perkins claims to have been one who use development loans to saddle countries with huge debts and force them to serve United States and Chinese interests. So a new EHM, or economic hitman, wave is infecting the world. And at the peak of devastation sits China, a newly dominant economic power. China scares the heck out of me, especially with all of these quote-unquote military-aged men coming over the border at the rate of 10,000 a day, allegedly. This is some scary stuff because this wave, they might have us in their sights, and we may not even know it. So, we have China, we have the U.S., we have these dominant economic powers with insidious versions of economic blueprints that detail how they exploit Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. Don't forget about Asia. There are smaller countries there as well that they seem to allure and exploit and then wreck for their own financial gain. Well, bottom line is, if we allow this to continue, according to John Perkins, then we will destroy life in these countries as we know it. Keep in mind, I am from Costa Rica. I was born in Costa Rica, which is quite literally a banana republic. This is a country where massive companies like uh, banana companies, like La Chiquita, um, Dole Fruit, and others went down. They created the Pan American Highway, blasting a scar down the middle of Central and South America, and rampaging for lack of a better word, and taking all of the naturally occurring fruit of the labor of those people, quite literally the fruits of their labor, bananas, pineapples, coffee, you name it, we were down there taking it. And it's not just those things, it's gold as well. It's wreckage. I've seen it firsthand. So it's sad, but this is Basically, what is happening, and this is, has happened in the past, I've, I've seen it firsthand. So, yeah, there were a group of guys known as the Rough Riders. This goes back as far back as I can remember. And the Rough Riders, of course, many when they think of the Rough Riders, they think of Teddy Roosevelt. A nickname given to the 1st United States Volunteer Cavalry, one of three such regiments raised in 1898 for the Spanish-American War. But they weren't done after taking a big hunk of Mexico that we now know as California and Texas away. No, they weren't done at all, and New Mexico. It may seem, you know, when you look at the history books, that this was like, oh, well, this was just the standard cause of how things would go, and we needed those lands. 
Did we really? And were there false flags involved? Many argue that there may have been, specifically the Alamo. Why would you take nationwide celebrities, heroes of the West, like Davy Crockett, and send them to the Alamo to fight in an impossible-to-win war? Well, the Battle of the Alamo was an impossible war to win because it was a pivotal event, a military engagement in the Texas Revolution. And let's face it, we knew for a fact that our heroes that we sent could not be triumphant. They were sent to, in my opinion, fall. And they were depicted in this Alamo complex as holding it down, right? This is We needed this event to muster up support for the rest of the country to jump on board with what was taking place, the possession of Mexican land. If there's, <laughs> if there's ever been a false flag where we quite literally sent our own men in to die, it was the Alamo. Because we had skirmishes up until that point. We had reinforcements up to that point. We had assault preparations up to that point. But nobody was really backing the idea of just taking Mexican land. It seemed wrong. But when you send guys like Davy Crockett and others who are quite literally national heroes, well, it seems to me that people like David Bowie, and uh, who was too sick, by the way, to participate in the battle. He died in a bed. And others claim that Bowie shot himself or was even killed by soldiers because he was too weak to lift his head. So these guys may have been set up. Let's face it. Anyway, the, the, the bottom line is by 6.30 in the morning, the Battle of the Alamo was over. Mexican soldiers inspected each corpse, bayoneting anybody that moved, and this is the story that was given to Americans. The detailed news of the battle shocked America, gaining a bunch, a bunch of uh, support to go after this land. And it had quite the impact. And we have quite the legacy since. So, back to the Rough Riders. They were first involved with the Spanish-American War, but they weren't done when that got done. No, not at all. They uh, continued to be a small, disorganized unit, and they kept going down into Latin America. Now, the original plan was to get a bunch of frontiersmen from the Indian Territories and the New Mexico Territory, as they called it at the time, the Arizona Territory, the Oklahoma Territory, some Texas Rangers, and uh, etc. And the volunteers were gathered and sent down with equipment and training. And they were kind of sent, let's face it, go a little further after, after these... Uh, Spanish-American War situations, go a little further and see what there is down there. See what else we need. So sure, it was unlikely that we were going to continue to go down into Latin America and just take land. That would be too colonialist. That's something that our forefathers wanted nothing to do with, but something that we were engaging in. So we meaning North America, right? So they basically went down and they started looking for opportunities, financial opportunities in Latin America, and how to devise schemes and plans to take some of these natural resources from these countries. Now, how do I know about this? Well, because I have a grand I had grandfathers and great grandfathers who could tell me about this. And let's just say that the Rough Riders kind of had their butts handed to them once people realized what they were down there doing. They were basically economic hitmen. So this has been going on for a long, long time. And it's not just in the Americas. We've had similar stuff take place in other countries. Now, this is not as bad as what the pirateers did 
who aligned themselves with the British East India Company in the past. But let's face it, a lot of the people that came over on the Mayflower and afterwards were in fact the family descendants of people who were with the East India Company, very wealthy at this point. And when you're talking about wealthy families, this company had extreme finances. As many know, the East India Company was very much involved with drug running. And although they claim they were just running tea, that's not the whole story. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of uh, giving you the Reader's Digest version because you could do literally 10 podcasts about the East India Company and what they actually did. You know, they, the goods and services and provisions and the total invested and the, you know, everything they did. Keep in mind, they, they ran hard from about 1603 to 1616, making all kinds of money and voyages, um, taking things like pepper from Java, tea, of course, and drugs, quite literally drugs. English traders frequently fought um, counterparts and the company achieved major victories. They became legitimized pirates. They got a foothold in India. They established an English trade in Bengal. And their ships, at one point, docked just about everywhere in the world. They were literally... so They, they were also economic hitmen. So this is not something new. They, they established companies, exclusive rights to reside and establish factories in various countries all over the planet, and all with the underlying threat that if you go against us, you're going against the crown. You're going against the British Royal Navy. So the British East India Tea Company was fiercely competitive with everyone, thugs, and basically became quite unpopular in the <laughs> later years of the 1700s, all the way up to 1759, people knew the gig was up. Their archives suggest involvement in the slave trade, which began in 1684, when Captain Robert Knox was ordered to buy and transport 250 slaves from Madagascar to St. Helena. The East India Company began using and transporting slaves in Asia, and the Atlantic. And uh, this is all according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. So it's there. It's still You can still pull this stuff up. Now, eventually the company ended the trade in 1834 after, allegedly they ended it, after numerous legal threats from the British state and the Royal Navy in the form of uh, basically saying stop, right? Like they discovered various ships contained evidence of quote-unquote illegal trade. That could be anything you think of. Pretty scary stuff and pretty dirty. Keep in mind that the English India Company and their trading post in Java, with the assistance of William Adams, a British sailor, was able to gain permission from the ruler to establish a commercial house in Hirado on the Japanese island of Kyushu. They got free license to start doing some pretty brutal raw trade over there, including silk, export to China. And basically, they were all over the place, doing all kinds of things with this underlying threat that don't go against us. Let us come in and be economic hitmen to your countries, or you will quite literally have the Royal Navy at your door. Well, this actually came to fruition when the East India Company started selling opium to Chinese, mer Chinese merchants in the 1770s. They were trading opium in exchange for goods like porcelain and tea, which the English absolutely adored. This caused all kinds of opioid addiction in China, all across the country, ruling, you know, the needs of the Chinese and ruining their society. Well, the dynasty outlawed the opium trade in 1796 and again in 1800. But in 
But British merchants continued illegally dealing. They were just drug dealing, thugs. So the dynasty took measures to prevent the East India Company from selling opium within their borders. And they destroyed tens of thousands of chests of opium already in the country. Well, let's just say that uh, the British merchants didn't like this. And these events led to the first Opium War in 1839. This involved British naval attacks. It actually happened. You know, that threat of the British Navy coming to your door, it actually happened. Because keep in mind, a lot of the people who were investing in the company had ties, political ties and otherwise, to government and the royals back in Britain. So they mustered up the British Navy to go and support. These are their investments. Let's not, let's not get it twisted, folks. The crown was making money. It was a military-industrial complex of sorts even way back then with economic hitmen. And uh, this started out the Opium Wars. Pretty brutal. And it seems as if this is a recurring, recurring thing that takes place. And nowadays, when colonialism is no longer popular or seen as something that can be tolerated, we have to fight in different types of wars. Proxy wars. Economic wars. We can still take their goods. We can still take their natural resources. We just uh, do so in a different way, utilizing these economic hitmen and the corporations that lie above them. So many have asked, are American taxpayers paying to train mercenaries for some of these economic hitmen? Well, it depends on who you ask and where you look. These allegations are serious. There have been revelations that a Middle East monarchy, the UAE, hired Americans to carry out assassinations. Now, this is a time when, let's face it, this is no longer okay. But we've seen the alleged murder of dissident journalist Jamal Khashoggi by Saudi Arabia, an autocratic regime that has close ties to both the U.S. and the UAE. The Saudi embassy in the U.S. did not respond to the request for comment. And although Riyadh has denied it killed Khashoggi, news reports suggest it is considering blaming his death on a botched interrogation. Sounds like torture to most. So where do these kill teams come from? And where do they get their training and experience? Remember that if Khashoggi wouldn't have been wearing an Apple watch, nobody would know the better. Unfortunately, his watch recorded the entire event. So, back to where the kill teams come from. Where they get their money, their experience, and their training? Well, they get it from the U.S. military and the U.S. taxpayer, allegedly, according to many researchers. One researcher wrote on how the U.S. military is becoming increasingly reliant on mercenaries to staff military operations and how it's making it easier for the Pentagon to ratchet up military conflicts while still claiming that it's reducing boots on the ground. Hmm. Well, if it's mercenaries and it's not Americans, you know, that are in the armed forces, it can do this. Because the Pentagon doesn't report on details of how many mercenaries it's using or where they are. Essentially, mercenaries are a sort of uh, slush fund, which allow the Defense Department... A lot of leeway, the DOD as well, while being able to provide very little information to the taxpayers. Now, this is obvious because we know for a fact that the Pentagon, when asked where 60% of its money is, they say, we don't know. How is this possible? We don't know. Imagine if your finances were managed in a way where you had no idea where 60% of your finances were. That's pretty scary stuff. Keep in mind that the long U.S. wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places relied heavily on elite special forces, as they called them. These elite special forces produced tens of thousands of highly trained American commandos who demand 
high-paying private sector salaries. Kind of a kind of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Many of these salaries coming for defense contracting or outright mercenary work. We've all seen the magazine, Soldier of Fortune. Look in the back of that. Or just go to your local LinkedIn. You can find these guys. And it's privatization of war. It's a lot like, you know, these privateers of old that we just talked about starting the opium wars. These guys were kind of the same thing. And they work for private contractors nowadays, leaving frontline combat. And virtually the only function that the U.S. and many other militaries have is to not contract them officially. But they are consultants, quote unquote, and they are, quote, out for profit ventures. So historically, we've all called this (laughs) basically mercenary work. Uh, But these military forces now call them irregulars or guerrilla forces. There's a gray area. They seem to be able to be truly private military forces that don't have a legally enforceable contract with an officially recognized regime. They're often not loyal to anybody except the uh, finances. And they oftentimes get paid by multiple organizations or shell companies Clearly, this does not describe the way things should be. And if it is taxpayer dollars paying for this, if it is government spending sent to private firms to carry out government agendas, it's not technically privatization, right? You get enough intermediaries, shell companies, LLCs, and uh, pretty soon these experienced American mercenaries and the possibilities of what they're doing start to make themselves obvious. But if there's a long enough line of shell companies and plausible deniability, then there's no way to really come after anyone. This would make sense on why 60% of the funds, apparently from the Pentagon, And this was according to uh, Tim Blanchard, I believe, that said this. 60% of their funds go into black budget stuff we don't even know about. They don't even know about. And keep in mind that you are considered unpatriotic if you ask this question. You're just supposed to nod, say, God bless America. And hey, if 60% of the finances are going into a black hole and we don't know where that hole goes, so be it. Well... Go sing the national anthem and call it a day. Not necessarily. Now, interestingly, the disclosure movement for UFOs is really what has brought a lot of this to light. The reason I say that is that reports having to do with UAP are looking at the finances. And I'm sorry, it wasn't Tim Branchard. It's Tim Burchett. I said his name wrong. I, realized, I knew I said it wrong, but I was kind of on a run there. I was on a roll. Congressman Tim Burchett has sat down and looked at these finances and talked about, you know, where's the money? And the reason they're looking at this black budget money is because they're interested in UFOs and related subjects, disclosure, and the like. I mean, we have a lot of weird things going on. As an example, according to the Defense Technical Information Center, .mil, We have lots of UFO landings, lots of UFO car chases, UFO photographs, details of incidents where something has landed within military bases or flown over it, much like the jellyfish UFO. So this has kind of, who would have guessed that UFOs, UAPs, and the the work of these congressmen, Tim Burchett and others, have engaged dynamically in analyzing how the government is spending money into black budget projects. I wouldn't have guessed, but it's an unlikely, you know, it's one of those, it's like a, it's like a loose end on a sweater. You start to pull it and the whole thing starts to unravel. That's what's happened with UAP and UFO disclosure. And this is probably why so many people just want to squash it. Don't look into this. 
because it is literally one of these little loose strands on a sweater. People like Tim Burchett and others are pulling on it. And what they're finding is something that a lot of people apparently don't want out. Now, we've seen this in the past. Let's go back to 1947, the year that the CIA was made after Roswell. Interesting. Why after Roswell? Well, it seems that a report was required and needed looking into what exactly took place at Roswell. Well, let's just say that it was a deal and uh, representatives were gathering information on an alleged crash of an unidentified flying object that occurred in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Now, what they found was information provided to the Secretary of the Air Force and the General Accounting Office. There's the finances again. And that's kind of sometimes how to go about this. Show me the money. Where's it being spent? What's going on? Well, as a result, it was written uh, by Colonel Weaver and Lieutenant McAndrew to locate the records that explain the events of July 1947, following the money, leading to what is popularly known now as the Roswell Incident. Now, the only information that was really presented was not in the report delivered to the Secretary of the Air Force and the GAO, but more to others. And it appears that the importance of some of these top-secret attachments had to do with money spent on classified projects and experiments which might lend some credence to the explanation of what happened at the quote-unquote Roswell incident. Interest still abounds surrounding what happened in Roswell in 1947, and it still has not dissipated. Let's face it, nobody knows for sure what happened. Even if you have the top-secret clearance and you're able to see it, you can't talk about it. So it's shrouded in secrecy. But we know that some of the operations could not be outed. There was deployment of uh, exotic technologies, some of which involved balloons. And there was also a lot of compartmentalization. This was significant because UFO researchers assert that people who recovered equipment, etc., should have been able to recognize debris collected at the crash site. However, high-level clearances basically, and compartmentalization made it so that they could not understand what they were looking at, allegedly. An unusual combination of experimental equipment who those in the know did not know what it was. And this is where we start to see some serious black budget spending. The Air Force efforts did not identify any indication that the Roswell incident was any type of extraterrestrial event or that the Air Force had engaged in a 47-year conspiracy or cover-up of information relating to it. But it is assumed that a pro-UFO group or groups strongly were involved and uh, that there is a continuation of a quote-unquote cover-up or conspiracy. So there you have it. UFOs are the win-win for both sides. Win for being able to funnel millions of dollars into black budget projects. For those who want to compartmentalize and hide government spending, taxpayer money, keep in mind. And of course, a win for those looking for UAP and UFO disclosure because it allows a way for them to poke and prod or pull at the strings of this financial sweater and realize just how much black budget spending is taking place. Now, as long as the clearance is high enough and it's top secret enough, they don't need to give answers where this money's being spent. So we may never know where 60% of our taxpayer dollars go. Pretty wild stuff. So as you sit down to do your taxes... 
Keep in mind, sure, you're funding schools, you're funding welfare programs, you're funding other stuff. But 60% of it? Hmm. Could be going into UFO research. Could be going to fund economic hitmen. And keep in mind, if it is going to fund economic hitmen, this may be an even larger return on your investment. This may be why some of the numbers don't add up. Why we are one of the richest countries in the world and why we may continue to be using black budget projects, black budget spending, and otherwise taking advantage of others all under the radar. These are all allegations. I don't have proof, but there is a massive data set online. Getting back to the UFO and UAP scenarios, though, some of the most interesting aspects of these reports are that some are concluding that debris specifically found from UAPs or UFOs might be involving our technology, reverse-engineered technology. And when you look at that, it becomes interesting on a variety of levels, especially because it provides a more detailed discussion of the specifics of these black budget projects. I'm reminded of whistleblowers coming forward and saying that they've run into platoons. Platoons who, you know, and keep in mind that this is this is interesting because this is a Freemason whistleblower in this particular case, somebody I respect very much. I don't care what you say about Freemasonry. Because this guy's been kind of uh, drugged through the mud because he was wearing uh, some Freemasonic pin. But let's, let's get down to the business. His name is Michael Herrera. He's a U.S. Marine which encountered UFO Black Ops. That's right. UFO Black Ops allegedly involved with potential human trafficking and drug smuggling, and they were utilizing exotic technology. So he discussed his encounter with a large UFO in Indonesia in 2009. And he said that for lack of a better word, mercenaries, you know, these guys that were black ops and very corrupt, secret, organizational compartmentalized mercenaries he testified under oath in front of congress about this experience so apparently things are still taking place there are black budget technologies black budget funds being used and potentially being used with ufo black ops involving alleged human trafficking, and alleged drug smuggling. Not my words. Those are Michael Herrera's words. The Marine who talks about the government corruption and the secret organizations that they fund. So these things apparently still happen. And apparently UFO disclosure and UAP disclosure seems to be, you know, that line that, that line that sounds far-fetched enough, but yet is going to be what unravels a lot of this corruption. Because if we have mercenaries funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars utilizing exotic technologies for illegal purposes, well, things could get a little hairy. And some in Congress want to know about it. Because they, too, are on the up and up. So don't think that all government is against you, because it isn't. There's always those beacons of hope and light who are trying to figure out the shadiness and what's going on. And I think they're patriots as well. So getting back to Infowars, because this is an information war, and Alex Jones, he has said that these events at Waco and Ruby Ridge are what got him all fired up to go into the conspiracy world and start things like Infowars. You know, this guy's done a lot of wild things, and I know people who know him very well, and they allege that he is not controlled opposition, 
that he's the real deal, but he too used those events to kind of uh, get the traction he needed to look into government conspiracies. Apparently, he's not the only one. So come tax time, we have an interesting time where we are hereby required to (laughs) give 33% of our income to sources and groups who may be allegedly and potentially spending 60% of that money in ways which we will never have access of knowing about. And all we can do is hope and pray that the remainder is used for things that are on the up and up. Now, I believe that we need to have top secret realms and we need to have, you know, organizations that do things without having the loaded stigma of having to tell the populace or civilians, I'm 100% on board with top secret allocation. But when we get these exposés like Michael Herrera's, where he speaks out on black programs, psyops, and exotic technologies in the form of large UFOs in Indonesia, possibly you know, undertaking human trafficking and drug smuggling. And that's not the worst part. They're threatening U.S. Marines. I got a problem with that, and I don't think many Americans would be okay with that. So in my opinion, regardless of what some may think of Michael Herrera because he happened to have a Freemasonry pin on his lapel, he is, in my opinion, someone who is a patriot and whistleblower And uh, a U.S. Marine who is exposing an encounter with a UAP or UFO, some type of exotic technology, where these PSYOP-type black-budget operations are taking place illegally. That's the key here. If we're doing this stuff and it's on the up and up, I'm okay with it. But... When you have things like human trafficking and drug smuggling and literally you're dealing with uh, things that are not just black budget, but plain dark. Well, that's not okay. And so I believe this gentleman is a patriot. You know, he encountered UFO black ops, for lack of a better word. And... If these UFO black ops, this exotic technology and this black budget funding is being used for things that are illegal, like human trafficking and drug smuggling, well, we should be able to put an end to that one way or another. So, rest assured, your tax dollars are being spent. We just don't know exactly how. We don't know exactly why. I'm sure 90% of the time it's for good cases, good causes, and the like. But on the other hand, there seems to potentially be deeply disturbing ways if you follow these allegations of whistleblowers that it might be underhandedly being spent in underhanded ways that are illegal. Luckily, people are looking into it, so don't give up on government just yet. And hopefully, the IRS is not using our tax dollars, as it originally did to fund a civil war. So, things are definitely better on that front. If you haven't gone over to HeroParanormal.com, please check it out for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. You can access all the content over there. There's a ton of it. Also, if you want to buy something fungible, tangible, some goods, some swag, head on over to the shop at HeroParanormal.com. And if you're more health-minded and you want some amazing products, go to happinessmedical.com. Anything you buy there helps support the podcast. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. And we're going to close out with another epic song by Ryan Spivey. Take care. Stars.
Follow me with your shape shifting smiles and I see you. Silver discs and hidden files, and we 